0: hello everyone welcome to the third episode of the fourth season of bring the virtual balance podcast brought to you by the health and wellness at Baruch college my name is isabella and i'm joined with my fellow pause nisha and we will be your pod- i mean we'll be your hosts for this season
1: Hi everyone, I'm Misha. Um, I am a junior on campus and I'm also a peer mentor for the Office of Health and Wellness. And um, at this office, we offer a lot of yearly programs, workshops such as yoga, um, stress
0: management, cooking demonstrations, public speaking, and more. And as PAWS, which stands for Peers Advocating for Wellness Services, we encourage healthy lifestyle choices through a variety of workshops. And to learn more about our workshops, you can follow our Instagram at baruchpaws or email us at healthandwellnessatbaruch.cuny.edu. And all those programs that we do relate to the dimensions of the wellness wheel, which are emotional, intellectual, spiritual, occupational, social, environmental, and lastly, physical. Today we are talking about
1: substance use and and the effects that it might have on your mental and physical well-being. So we will be focusing on the intellectual and social components, which relate to maintaining your emotional health by living a balanced life through managing stress, getting enough sleep, and being able to ask for help, as well as building a strong network that can support you and your guide um, and and guide you when you need it.
0: So with all that in mind, let's welcome our guest speaker, Sarah Redfield, or Red.
2: Red? Yes. Yourself? Uh, as mentioned, my name is Red. Well, I go by Red. Uh, I am the prevention coordinator on campus at Duke. Uh and, and essentially what that means is I just make sure that all the students are being as safe as possible when it comes to substance use. Uh, and I do a lot of screenings, again, to get a baseline and make sure that all of our students are safe and healthy.
1: Um, so I do have a question for you right now. Um, we all know that using substances, many effects on your body, um, and one of them is sleep. So I wanted to ask you, how would you describe, um, how sleep is affected by these substances?
2: Yeah. So sleep is obviously so, so very important to, um, our brains and our bodies and our physical health and our mental health. Um, so how how substances affect uh is all dependent on the person and on the different substances that we use now i say that and it's a very general answer because i always advocate and say and make sure that everybody knows that uh substances affect on anybody's body is all different because we're all different people and are making are all very different. So there's a variety of ways that there can be um, an effect on our sleep. So just for example, um, let's say somebody's using alcohol, and there's going to be times where somebody uses a lot of alcohol, and they may say, like, I passed out. Um, And that's very true. They do kind of go to sleep very hard. But what is happening, though, is the body is working so hard to get the alcohol out of our system and um, to digest it, that we're not really getting that REM sleep that we need to um, form the memories to repair our bodies to repair our brains so alcohol can the effect of making it feel like you're really going to sleep but you're not entering that really um, essential sleep that you need so then we can talk about uh, cannabis and cannabis a lot of times um, has been known or people say that they like to maybe use before they go to bed and it really helps them sleep. And that very maybe that may be true. Uh, But what I'm here to talk about is if somebody is using cannabis to go to sleep, I like to understand why do they need that aid and that help to go to sleep. Because our bodies for the most part are set up to put us to sleep. And have this cycle of waking up when the sun comes up and going to sleep when, you know, the sun goes down. And we have this natural cycle. So if there's an interruption in that cycle, I'd be very interested to say, well, why do you need this aid to um, help you go to sleep? Um, So that's kind of some of the things that I would talk about when it comes to substances and the use. Now, if we were going to talk about maybe um, like study drugs, uh, so Adderall or Ritalin. Uh, that might make people stay up cocaine may make people stay up and that's because it's a stimulant and that means that it is making our central nervous system go like haywire and it keeps people up and now obviously that is a whole different issue in itself because we just mentioned that sleep is really important for um uh for having memories and uh creating those memories for repairing our bodies and so it is very important that we get that sleep and when you're not you know it can be detrimental to our body. So I hope that that answers your question a little bit. I know that it's very like kind of nuanced and there isn't a straightforward, but it's because everybody's different. And I don't want to say that this is going to be the effect on your body because that may not be true for some people. Um, So I like to give a very general kind of answer to some of these questions,
0: which can be annoying, but actually ask you because I know that, well, I noticed that a lot of older people take ambience, like, you know, their sleeping pills to sleep. And I, they can be highly addictive. Like, I know, for example, my grandma, she can't sleep without those pills. Like, that's her. She, you know, she can't function without those pills. And I was wondering, like, is that sleep any different from a regular sleep that she would get without those pills? Like, do you think that she would be better off trying to get her sleep or just take the ambient?
2: (laughs) Yeah, that's a, that's a very interesting question. And so first I want to just disclose or disclaimer, I'm not a medical doctor. I do not know the inner workings of every pharmaceutical drug and how it affects our brain. Um, But to answer that question, yes, those, those sleeping pills can be very, very addictive. And there becomes a point where your brain becomes dependent on those drugs. And so what happens is I think people probably have an interruption in their sleep. Maybe it's due to anxiety. Maybe it's due to depression, stress. It could be these things. And then doctors can prescribe those pills to a person. And the brain becomes dependent on those pills. So at this point, maybe... And I don't know, again, I don't know your grandmother, but perhaps she is addicted to that. Now that's not to say that she is um, not functioning in this world, I'm not trying to call your grandmother that if she so happens to listen, Um, but (laughs) she could be, her brain and her body could be dependent on that. So those drugs help you make like the melatonin that um, is in like, uh, what are those? Melatonin. That we can take, you know, the that, and that's what our body produces naturally to help us go to sleep. So some of those drugs are helping aid that. And then if your body doesn't have to do it anymore because they have this pill that's helping, your brain and your body then become dependent on it. So they don't need to make those things anymore to help you go to sleep. Um, and as far as, you know, if or if somebody should take it or shouldn't take it, that's really a conversation between a person and their medical doctor. Now it becomes interesting and dangerous when you're taking a drug that is not prescribed to you. Because there are a lot of people who use and benefit from medication and there should be no stigma attached to that. But if you are taking these drugs that are prescribed and you are abusing them and not following the proper protocol that has been prescribed to you, that can be dangerous and it can also be dangerous to take those drugs that are not prescribed to you because you should be having these conversations with your doctor to make sure that you are receiving the right dose and it is truly going to benefit you versus maybe lead to an addiction that we don't want.
0: Of course. So you mentioned that, you know, taking alcohol or other drugs can cause blackouts. Mm -hmm. And so we were wondering how can substances like alcohol or drugs affect other things like memory maybe outside of blackouts like can it cause you to just forget things very like more long term or can it cause you to you know um go beyond blackouts yeah
2: so obviously um Blacking out is not a good thing. That is actually doing permanent damage to your brain. So a blackout is essentially uh, when your your blood alcohol content and your brain have just become saturated with the alcohol that your brain is kind of just, it had too much of the alcohol. And so a blackout is harming you and it is harming your brain. And that's something that we obviously don't want. Now, if we're going further and like beyond that, every time you're blacking out, you can be causing some damage to your brain and that may lead to many long-term effects. There are alcoholics or people who have been addicted to alcohol who now have cancers because of it, who have cirrhosis, that means that's the breakdown of your liver and it can't process the other things in your body that need to be processed. Um, it can affect the kidneys, so there's these all these long-term effects and now with that being said, Um, I don't know if you've ever heard the anecdote that, you know, like the day you stop smoking a cigarette, you add like a year to your life. And then if it's two days, it's two years. Well, think of that concept like when you use a drug, right? So let's say somebody has been using alcohol for 20 years. That may lead to some long-term effects. But the day that they stop using that with um, uh, aid from a professional, because alcohol is one of the only drugs that you can die from when you withdraw. So all the other drugs out there besides barbiturates, you will be safe. You're gonna feel like shit and crap when you're coming down and withdrawing and you may feel like you're dying. But with barbiturates and with alcohol, those are the only drugs that you can actually die from if you withdraw in an Uh, unsafe. It's um, benzos? Yes, benzos. Now again, that's, very long-term use. I don't want our students to listen and think that I'm saying, you know, you've been in college and you're having a social life, you know, and you decide to drink that, you know, these things are going to happen. This is very long-term use. Um, We're talking like people who drink or do drugs for many, many years, coming down off of those can be very horrific and very tough. Um, So again, all that's saying is that yes, substances will obviously have long-term effects on people, but they can all be very different and there's just a variety of them. So when you're using and when you decide to use, if you decide to use, just making sure that you're very aware of the effects on your body and that there can be long-term effects, hopefully that can you know, kind of curve or help you decide how much you wanna use and how often. So
1: you mentioned how it could have, um, long-term effects on your body, right? So for instance, like neurological side effects, like that could include chemo brain where there's like a, um, cognitive dysfunction, like for after cancer treatment, there's brain disease, there's neurotoxicity. How do you think that, um, substance use, um, affects your like neurological impacts?
2: Yeah, of course. So, um, with substance use, again, everybody's different. I don't want to scare anybody. This isn't the Dare program. This isn't Scared Straight. This is more of things of just to be aware of. So, of course, there's always going to there can always be neurological kind of effects with people. So, somebody who may be using alcohol for a very long term effect may um, may develop develop seizures. They can develop um, stroke potential. That's also with cocaine and other harder drugs. Um, So there's always these risks. But again, these risks may be living dormant in a person's body, and then sometimes drugs or alcohol can then kind of trigger those things to happen. Um, And that's what is risky about trying or experimenting with all sorts of substances, is that you never know what is already going on with your body uh, and how the drugs can affect that. So um, for another example, there are... There has been times that people who are um, around students' ages, because that is when um, schizophrenia starts to uh, show and starts to manifest. And sometimes if somebody is on a very extreme trip or takes a substance not knowing this, it could trigger something that is already living dormant within their body. Um, Now, I'm not saying that college-age students... (laughs) who try drugs or alcohol are gonna all of a sudden become schizophrenic but there is a correlation between having some of these bigger trips triggering those things that are already living in our bodies Uh, um
1: sorry for interrupting um so you said like basically it's like if you have like underlining conditions or if you have like something that already um sparks the concern if you start drinking or taking substances
2: it might basically bring it out of you, right? Right, right. So kind of like how we were seeing, like with COVID, you know how COVID wasn't dangerous for some people, but it was dangerous for other people who were autoimmune. It's kind of the same concept and theory of that there may be things going inside on inside our bodies that can be triggered through our environment or substances that we're using.
0: I actually remember hearing, it was. it's kind of silly, but people were saying that um, – kids that go away to college, and you know, they, they take drugs and like, gives them schizophrenia.
2: I thought it was funny. It doesn't give.
0: Them. <laughs> no doesn't
2: give them it may um, may show the signs that have not come out yet. Uh, but the, it, it yes, it is just drugs to me drugs and um, alcohol. They are just a very interesting thing, right? not only because of what they can actually do, how we can come, become physically dependent on it and chemically. So that, yeah, that's, a, that's the one thing that I also wanted to mention is that, you know, we're talking about what are the neurological effects and all of that, but what is the most like, interesting and wild thing to think about is that our brains can become physically and chemically dependent. That means that they don't work as well or the way that they should be Without this substance, so that is why addiction um, to drugs or alcohol is now considered a disease because there is an actual physical and chemical change in the brain, and then that further is why it is so important that students, especially in the college age, you know, from seventeen to twenty-five, your brains are still developing. Your frontal lobe, that is like the the epicenter of making. Great decisions is going to be can be affected if the use is at an all time high.
1: I wanted to actually add on to that because, like, I know like something that I hear very often is like, "Oh, marijuana, it's not addictive. You know, it doesn't like you can't um, get tripped up for it." Like, it, it basically they're trying to justify why it's okay, right? Mm-hmm. But then there's also another side to it where I feel like, um, like even if it's not considered addictive like your body doesn't crave it It, i feel like psychologically because you know you find yourself like you said like a lot of people can't perform the same way they don't function the same way in another Mm -hmm. sense it is considered addictive psychologically because now you think like oh i can't i can't sleep without it you know i can't Mm -hmm. i can't write write poems creatively like i can't um Mm -hmm be as um, social, right? So then there's like these like other things that pop up because people tried it for the first time and they, they see themselves like, they like how they are acting. Like for instance, with drinking, right? Um, I had a friend that recently said that like she's not gonna get addicted to um, alcohol, right? But the fact that it just makes her more social, it puts her out of her comfort zone. Now, whenever she's at a party, she, needs to drink so then she can feel like she can function to her fullest ability at that Mm -hmm. environment. So Mm -hmm. even though it's not like technically considered addictive, I feel like your brain still thinks like that. And in other terms it is it somehow manages to
2: it's still it still somehow manages to be addictive in a way. Yeah, you hit the you hit the nail on the head with that. Um I do wanna say first and foremost, alcohol is one hundred percent addictive. Um Cannabis is where we run into people having that, like, back and forth. Is it or isn't it? And like you had mentioned and like you said, I agree with that completely. It is that you maybe become addicted more to addicted to the habit and to the, um, the, like, just the environment of it. So what I mean by that is, like, every morning I wake up, I take my dog for a walk, and then I have a cup of coffee. Now, my cup of coffee is decaf, which means there's no caffeine in it. And so I am not a person who gets the caffeine buzz. But if I do not do that every single morning, I feel weird and I feel off and I feel like my day just isn't going to go in the way that I want it to. And that can be very similar to how people feel with cannabis use Um, is that they might not necessarily be physically addicted, but they are addicted or at least like the the habit of it and the ritual of it is what I should say. The ritual of maybe smoking that joint or bowl before bed. Like that becomes something that just like relaxes them because it is what they're used to and what they are doing. Basically Um, for like relaxation. Yeah. Yeah. And like, um, cannabis is a depressant. So it is going to like, obviously mellow you out and chill out. So there is a relaxing tendency to it. Um, But are you going to be physically addicted to it? That just really depends. Uh, It depends on where you do your research and who you look into. Because as we all know about research, it's done by so many different people that can uh, accommodate personal opinions, right? We can all find research on what's going to make or correlate and uh, prove that we are right about something. And so there are a lot of studies out there that will say, no, it's not addictive. And there'll be some studies out there that do say it is addictive. Um, they've been, there's been some uh, research showing that people may kind of act as if they do when they stop smoking cigarettes. <clears throat> so they may be just like a little on edge or um, kind of like irritated When they're doing that, but it's nothing like alcohol where like it is people get the shakes people, like I said, who have been using for a very long time may need to go seek medical medical uh, help and intervention to be able to come off of alcohol. Um, But cannabis is just like a a thing. It's there's so much stigma attached to it. There's a lot of um, criminalization of it in poor communities. uh, And there's just there's a lot of systematic and other things with cannabis that come into play that uh, I'm not sure if you want to get into here or if we should move on to, because I really would like to talk about how we were talking about the gateway thing, and I think cannabis, and since we're talking about that, might be a really great segue into that, because I think this is really important and a really interesting conversation. Uh, Let's segue into the gateway. What is your opinion on gateway drugs? We've <laughs> been talking about
0: hard, kind of hard, you know, like pills, alcohol, harder drugs. So let's segue to your opinion on gateway drugs, because it's something we've been taught since a very young age. And we've heard this term for, for a very long time. But is it is it really is there such thing as a gateway drug? What do you think?
2: Yeah, so when we had our meeting to kind of talk about this, and I had asked you what your opinions were on this. And I, I think it's like, what you were saying, we're, we're taught these certain things and there's societal norms, right? If I had to say that there was any gateway drug, I would 100% say it's alcohol because alcohol is not stigmatized in the way that all the other drugs are. So alcohol is considered a celebratory thing. It's not a big deal to do. Um, it's a rite of passage on your 21st birthday for some younger. Uh, and so it was never stigmatized. Alcohol has always been like, hey, you're getting married, drink. Hey, you're going off to the service, Uh, drink. Hey, uh, it's prom, drink. And these are all uh, stigmas and stereotypes that people have grown accustomed to. But if we look at cannabis and cannabis use, it was stigmatized and it was weaponized when people started really smoking it, you know? And so what I mean about that is, like I said, it's, it was criminalized. It was used as a way to put people in jail. Uh, and there was a big, like a big kick in the 60s, I believe it was, um, about reefer fever. And it was like a big PSA on like smoking and how it would like basically make people quote unquote crazy and go wild and be unhinged and just... You've never seen a campaign campaign like that for alcohol. So even though alcohol makes people very violent, (laughs) yes, can make you very aggressive, can really um, inhibit a lot of kind of those screens that we have in our brain to be like, oh, no, I really shouldn't be doing that. Um, So gateway drugs, I think, have been a term that was introduced to make people scared and when I say people, I think it was made to make parents and people of a certain age really worry for their children. Um, I I just, I don't think that gateway drug is the right word. I think that um, what we really need to look at for our stu- for students and for people collectively is that there's, there's environments that are going to aid in people trying and even having to try other things that they might not normally do. So, for example, uh, painkillers. A few years ago, there was a huge surge in doctors prescribing painkillers, and we are seeing so many people be addicted to those now. Um, And so what's happened and what can happen is these doctors were prescribing the painkillers, right? And so then there was a big push to stop over prescribing so then these people started stopped getting their painkillers so then what do they do because they can't get them prescribed anymore then that's when that that leads you to an environment to a place to go and get things that you might not usually get if you find a person who is dealing painkillers great one day that person might not have it and so then that is where the environment aids in helping people kind of Try things that they wouldn't normally try. And I think that's what happens. So, with um, cannabis, especially being deemed the token gateway drug, is very silly to me because there are people who have and only will ever use cannabis. There's no real reason or want or need to try anything else. Um, and so I think we just have to really look at the person and the environment in which they're in. There may be environments that support this expansion and the use into harder drugs. Uh, But overall, I don't think that, you know, you smoke weed and then like three weeks later, you're like, oh yeah, it's time for heroin. They're not even the same high. So there's no reason to even kind of like branch out into that. (laughs) So fortunate correlation.
0: It's just, I feel like it just happens that People who um, surround themselves with like people who smoke marijuana, they might be into harder things. So maybe, mm-hmm. maybe say heroin or whatever. They just in that they're in that circle of people who use different things. So if you join that circle, you might you might join just so because your friends are smoking. But they might have friends who are mm-hmm. doing other drugs, and that's the it's the environment, it's the the, the the circle that you surround yourself with is the gateway, not the marijuana. Yeah.
2: Yeah, exactly. It's not like um, the, the type of high that people are getting from cannabis are is not the same high and it is not a high that people are constantly searching for. Uh, it, in most cases, in a lot of cases, marijuana is, you know, it does have medicinal purposes um, and it's also a, a very calming experience for many people. For other people, it can lead to some other not-so-pleasant uh, feelings um but again it's just it's the environment that leads people to do certain things um again i I think the biggest thing for me is alcohol (laughs) Um, gateway drug
0: did what it kind of set out to do like did its job because i i noticed that like my mom is convinced that as soon as i like smoke marijuana the next and next week i'm gonna be taking heroin and you know that's yes and i myself like i am i I found myself after all these years of like being told these things that you know like a little hesitant or scared to try these things because I thought oh like
2: oh maybe they might push me mm-hmm. into this so do you think that it did its job a little bit yeah 100 percent, especially for the generation now you all are obviously younger than me so I'm gonna assume your parents um or guardians are a little bit younger than my parents but my parents are like in their 50s early 50s and you know they it's that generation so I'd say like probably you know 50s to maybe like now even you know 40s that they're that generation was just like ham hammered with this like messaging of like hey this is really bad crap like this is so bad but yet you know people are in the same breath drinking like there's pretty plenty of parents that are like you know give key party like come to my house you can have your friends over just make sure you're not driving like but that's to me that's more of a gateway of things so that that term was definitely uh marketed in the best way that it could have been because it's still trickling down it's still here it is still a thing to this day like obviously my parents know what i do they still have a hard time kind of articulating what i do but Anytime I'm like talking about weed, you would think that it was like the end of the world. And I remember specifically one time, my parents, we were like all having a, like a drink and my parents like, you guys have never done like weed, right? And I was like, well, no, I haven't. But that is just like a personal choice. And my brother was like, yeah. And my mom was like, oh my God, like you would have thought it was like the end of the world. And As we're there sitting, having a cocktail and I'm like, guys, you're missing the point here. Like, this is the thing that could do more damage. But with all that being said, I hope that it's coming across that with drugs and alcohol. For me specifically in the prevention role, it is not about, you know, uh, how much it is about how much somebody's using i don't care if somebody is using if that's their personal choice i just want to make sure that they are safe and using an amount that works for them so not the party police i'm not here to talk about abstinence um everybody has their own personal choice so i want to do is give the tools and make sure that people understand that they have the choice to make when it comes to using or doing drugs that is everybody's choice um and i'm not the one here to say no you probably shouldn't do that or yeah you should do that i'm just here to give you the tools and the education to make sure you can make an educated choice around drugs and alcohol Um. that's it
1: I wanted to branch out a little bit in the field of, like, self-control and, I guess, like, being assertive because um, I definitely had, like, my share of friends that, I guess, like, kind of lured me into um, just, like, the thought of, like, doing stuff. And obviously, like, had I, like, not been who I am, like, I would have fell into it by now. And I wanted to ask you, like, for people who are, um, like, I guess more like introverted and like they don't really speak up that much like how do you i guess like educate a person it, like not really educate a person but you know like a lot of people it's they're very headstrong about certain things mm-hmm. yeah and I feel like um i feel like Like we were talking about before, habits, like, they are a different degree of addiction. Um, It definitely takes, like, a lot more willpower to um, fix a physical addiction rather than an addiction that is tied with a habit. But I do feel Mm -hmm. like there's some sort of comparison there because they both take willpower, right? Just one willpower is a little bit different than the other, right? And I feel like a lot of people Mm -hmm. don't really know that um, there's just, like, so much more to, like drugs and like you know it's there's there's ways to go about it you know it's not like okay you do it and then you don't do it because there's going to be a part of you that's going to want to do it again right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, for instance like my friend like she couldn't go anywhere at all without like having marijuana she couldn't even go to the park you know or like walk her dog like she felt like she always needed to be on it because she was so stimulated by this feeling um, mm-hmm. And there would be times when she would say like, hey, like, why don't you do this with me? And there's one thing like telling a person no, but then there's also another thing in like educating them while telling them no. So what do you do when yeah. you're feeling a lot of like pressure to try something? Mm-hmm. and How do you like go about these situations? Like how can you be assertive basically? But in- yes.
2: Yeah, um, I think that that's... That's a tough one because, you know, some of the ways some people are assertive are just like, you know, it's innate, like it is a thing that just exists. Um, But what I can offer is just like my thoughts and opinion on, you know, peer pressure and all that stuff. Because let's be honest, um, I think especially for the generation that is going through college right now, um, y'all love to be educated. You love to do research. So I think that there's a great um, opportunity where, where students and are really looking into the things that they are putting into our body, because there's been a really huge push on like self-care and all of that stuff. Um, so I think there is been a lot of education on drugs and alcohol and what that does to your body physically. Uh, but again, um, what's interesting about this is I have, I just have a few thoughts that are swirling around, which is why I'm kind of like stuttering about this. Um, so when we're in high school, right? Uh, you have your group, your core group of people, and you would like just die for them. They are, you're hardcore for them. You know, you all think for the most part in the same way, you have a lot of the same opinions and interests. That's totally normal. In high school, we kind of like just hook up, and match up and hang with the people that, you know, get us and have the same opinion and thought. And then I don't know about for you both specifically, but when I went to college, I was like, oh shit, people think a lot differently than I do. And that's not wrong. And it's not it's not wrong, is the bottom is the end of that sentence. It's not wrong. And then I think in college there's a lot of exploring of what that means to be a friend and what that means to be able to live uh, cohesively and in peace with people who have different opinions than you. Um, And I think that's where I gained a lot of my friends who respected that I didn't want to do something. And so I think with you specifically for your friend, there can be an opportunity where maybe the next time this person says, hey, do you want to do this with me? You should do this. It really does this for me. Be like, you know what? But for me, it doesn't, doesn't do that. And I don't like it because of this, this, this. So it might be a little like a a time for a bit of education, but also know that it's not always your responsibility to educate. You don't always have to feel that pressure to educate. Um, And so further, I think being able to accept that your friends have different opinions Um, is a really interesting and hard thing to do in college and then beyond. I mean, look at our political world that we're in now. People can't under, like, they just don't understand each other's opinions. And it's really hard, especially right now, what we're seeing with Roe v. Wade, that, like, we just, somebody has one opinion on something and they want to thrust it upon. But for me, finding the friends that were, very respect respectful of my decision not to do something those were the people i wanted to i wanted to be around and the people who weren't supporting me in that i was like you know what something there's a disconnect here because i want people to respect me because if it's if i'm saying no to this and they're giving me a hard time what else am i going to have to say no to that i don't feel comfortable doing and they're going to make me feel like shit about i don't want to feel that way for my my thing um so with all that being said I think it's just trying your hardest to, you know, sticking up for yourself and advocating for yourself. And how you do that is totally up to you. So if that's being, uh, being an educator and educating at the same time, that's great. If that's saying, no, fuck you, and moving on, that's one way to do it. Like, there's no right or wrong way to do this. Um, and then for, there was one more thing I wanted to say about all of this. And I can't remember. So do you all have anything on that while I'm thinking about what I was going to say?
1: <laughs> I was going to say, like, I actually really like that advice because um, for the longest, it was so hard for me to, like, take anybody else's opinions. I was just very strong-minded to the point where I, like, I genuinely felt like I'm a stubborn person and, like, that's it. Because somebody, if somebody has, like, a perspective on something and if I didn't agree with it, I have to find a way or else I cannot sleep at night, you know? So I <laughs> College definitely did teach me, like, okay, how can you accept that there's going to be different people with different stories, with different backgrounds, with literally a whole different upbringing than you, right? Mm-hmm. Um, So it is true that, you know, at the end of the day, like, you should be responsible for your own way of speaking. Like, you don't have to educate them. You just say, hey, no means no, I don't want to do this, and that's it, right? But let's say that it's, like, kind of getting to the next level, right? Like, it's no longer about educating them, but now it's, like, you you physically see that they have... clear problem right Mm -hmm. um -hmm. my friend would just be going into like five different things sometimes she would just be crossfaded all the time and i just don't know what to do because like i would be like hey you know there's resources i would literally try to find things for her i would try to go like have her see like a therapist um different like things like that she she was just so against it she just always felt like i was like calling her crazy and like i guess Mm -hmm. like on her um and nothing, like, nothing I would say, nothing I would do would change how she felt about it. She just continuously felt like I was, like, having pity on her, right? Um, so at the end, I'm just like, what do I do? Do I tell her mom? That's a little weird, you know? <laughs> I guess, like, for the last question, um, how do you
2: try to help a person who doesn't really want to be helped if you know it's for well-being? Mm-hmm. Yep, of course. Um, okay. Let me come back to that. I remembered what I wanted to say when it came to um, something about if you're feeling peer pressured onto some of this stuff. Um, So there's one to be headstrong, short, advocate for yourself. There are a lot of times where you can just like straight up lie. And I know that's a weird thing to say, but like, I remember one time I was in college and I was at a party, so I wasn't surrounded I was surrounded by more people than my core people um, and they were just doing lines of cocaine off of the, off of like a DVD player, which I was like, so cliche. Um, and they just kept passing in the room and they passed it to me. And I was like, Oh no, no, thanks. And they're like, Oh, come on. And I was like, no, I actually just did too much before here. Like I can't do anymore. I'm going to like lose it. And that's actually like, such a good <laughs> thing they do. Stopped. They stopped, they stopped and they were like, okay, cool. And you like, unfortunately that gave me some cred while I was there and like but I then didn't have to feel I didn't feel weird after that because they just like they stopped and like they thought it was fine you know and like so you can do little things like that I know people who if they are in college or even beyond and they go to a party they'll just fill their cup up with water or whatever non-alcoholic thing they have and just like pretend so that's like, I think also a thing that just like remember, you know, sometimes you can like fib a little bit if you know, you're feeling in a certain situation that doesn't feel super comfy. Um, so going on now to your friend, you feel has a problem um, and they are just not receptive to that. So what I always offer in this situation is that, you know, whenever you're going to approach somebody or talk to somebody about um, any type of use, That is not your use. It is really important to make sure that you take a step back and you kind of analyze the situation, you know, because there are different people and different people use at different levels. And I'm not saying that that's right or wrong, but you have to know like what's, what's their level. And now with your friend specifically, I would always say obviously approach with compassion and out of, you know, um, just being a a caring person and a caring friend, and again, that can always be easier said than done. And even though you do it, they still could be like, "No, fuck you! Like you don't even care about me! Like whatever!" And you could be like, "No, that's not true. I do care about you." And just like, here are these resources. So what you're doing was really great. And um, you can only do that to somebody who, you know, wants it. I don't know how many times you you have spoken to your friend about this, um, but another thing that I learned in college and also in my profession that i've been in now for 10 years is that you cannot force help upon somebody who does not want it and if you do there is a high a very high chance that they're not going to be receptive and that they will relapse or fail and you know that's just the name of the game and so at some point you have to take a step back and say hey is this person going to be open to this? And if they're not, it's one of those things you have to learn is that some people, there's just some things you have to accept about people because again, people who do not want help will not receive it and they will not take it in a way that they feel is like out of care, you know? And I would just say for your, spren- your friend specifically, is like always be there for the chance that if there's ever like a little break in the wall, That they seem to be open about something, you know, that's the time to do it. But you can't change somebody who doesn't want to be changed. You can't help somebody who doesn't want to be helped. And that's the number one thing that they tell to like the loved ones and the parents and the guardians of people who become extremely addicted to things is that you can't help them unless they want to be helped, like you cannot force this upon them. And that's always an unpopular opinion. And it sucks because we love these people um, and they are people and they're human beings and we want to help them. But sometimes, sometimes it's not helpful in that way. They can't, they can't be helped um, until they're ready to receive that. And the best thing you can do is just be that person there. That's a constant resource that knows that you love them no matter what and that you're there to help them.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I feel like at the end of the day, like as long as you are just there, then, you know, that's all that matters because, mm-hmm. you know, just like you said, they might relapse if they don't like genuinely feel like it themselves. I wanted to thank you so much for all your good advice. Um, I feel like you just connected with us on like, I guess like a youth um, level because <laughs> you're your own experiences, and like you said, like how you had to lie a little bit, which I, I mm-hmm. definitely it was necessary. Um, mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people wouldn't really say that. So I thank you for being so honest um, and telling us about your stories. Um, so that's all we have for you today. And once again, um, for anyone who has any questions for us, visit our Instagram handle or email us at healthandwellness.
0: At the. That you need that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you got you- it future episodes we will be putting out more episodes of this podcast and you can listen to it later on spotify
2: thank you thanks guys i really enjoy speaking with you